0: Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Visit MidwestDataDepot.com. Live from our WSBT radio studios in downtown South Bend.
1: Let's go! Come on! Hey!
0: Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow,
1: don't blink. A lot of major intestinal
0: fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden.
2: The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State. Notre Dame is number one.
0: And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. (laughs) Dale Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame! Plus, fighting Irish hockey. They score!
2: Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game!
0: The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh
3: my gracious, how
0: about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT Radio app. Big time audits! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett.
3: And we welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT on this Wednesday, November the 15th of 2023. We are live on 960 AM, WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on the Twitch app. The two camera shot featuring Darren and Eric is ready to roll. On this Wednesday, we thank you for joining us and no, we will not provide any type of antidote for the headache you have involving Notre Dame football and talking with your friends about the Irish offense. We'll talk more about the offense. Jared Parker's comments last night. We'll just have a grand old time. Eric. You just got done with a chat. Featuring
1: Notre Dame football fans, it felt a little bit more like a sparring match, a little bit because okay, yeah, because people want to vent and ask questions, and then if they don't agree with you, then they want to debate you, and it's not uh, Notre Dame football live debate. It's Notre Dame football live chat, and we could debate in a different form. There hasn't been a game recently. That might have a lot to do with it. <laughs> 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 and nobody had a decent cheeseburger over the weekend, no, apparently. No, apparently but not. I, I understand why people are frustrated um, and have questions, and yet some of the suggestions just don't make a lot of sense to me, and we'll just go on. They They know how I feel about it. Well, Eric and I just had
3: a brief conversation before – We started the show, and and I I think it's worth just talking about for a second here on the air, and you made the comment based on the responses that you get at InsideIndieSports.com. By the way, that's Eric Hansen. I'm Darren Pritchett. Hello. 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 And you made the comment that the way people are reacting a lot of times, not everybody, but there's a good number that are making seven and three feel like they're three and seven. Correct. The response. And what I said back to Eric was, and I've kind of had this theme for a couple of weeks. I think the problem is right now when the fans either tune into the press conferences or read your articles of what Marcus and Jared and, and people had to say, fans are sensing there are coaching issues. And when it's more than just player execution, that's when people get awfully concerned because you expect coaches to do their jobs and not be one of the reasons why a team is floundering. And it's not the only reason, but Eric, right now the fans sense there are some issues right now that are not being solved. And I think that leads to the extra frustration. If this was was just the team not playing well, Eric, I don't think the response would be the same.
1: I agree with you. And I, I think the one thing that's difficult is not everything can be fixed in the time table that people want it to be fixed. For example, I think probably the clearest question, and you know, it would be easy for me to kind of give them a word salad, but I think I, that's not what my job is. My job is to, to have strong opinions if I have them, and, and I do. And somebody asked um, on, I think Football Never Sleeps on Monday, It might have been on our podcast, but they asked, is Jared Parker's inexperience as an offensive coordinator the biggest thing separating this team from being 7-3 and three to being a playoff contender? And the answer is yes. Now, does that mean he... Couldn't be better in 2024? No. Does that mean he should automatically be fired? No. But in direct answer to that question, I've got to be honest, that's how I see it. I think if you had, if you, and we mentioned this on the show last week, if you picked the best offensive coordinator in college football, and we thought Grubbs of Washington might be that guy. Good place to start what would Notre Dame's record be and i think you could make a case for being undefeated and so that's why getting it right in 2024 is correctly now could jared parker could marcus freeman say well i'm i think there will be growth from year 1 to year 2 he could make that case i don't think it's a convincing case but no i chance. think you could make you know, when he does his evaluation, that's that's a scenario that he's got to run through his de- decision-making process. Now, does that mean everything's Jared Parker's fault in every situation? No, but I think, you know, when people criticize Sam Hartman and want to plug Steve Angelia in there, I think a big reason oh. why <laughs> they feel that way is because Jared Parker hasn't provided an offense for Sam Hartman to excel. Thank
3: you. Because I'm tired of the people raining on Sam. Absolutely
1: unfair. Well, and one thing, if if you don't mind, because I don't want to run into our guest time, and I don't want to. No, mess. go ahead. We've so,
3: got we've got fifteen minutes to play with right now.
1: Okay, so this is from my chat transcript, and and they wondered, you know, how Sam Hartman felt about playing for an inexperienced <laughs> offensive coordinator, and I asked him about how he felt when Tommy Reese left, and he answered it very candidly, and I used it in a story I did over the summer, and I'm just um, getting to that point. So what he said was, uh, and, and having a quarterback's coach that was learning the offense when he was, you know? So he said, I think I just leaned into the team, leaned into coach free, and trusted that they were going to figure it out. Mm. Really, the team, like the locker room, just kind of kept everything rolling. Obviously, there were some gut punches along the way, but that's life. And I've enjoyed being here. I think the team just really, it's its just the guys. Like, we always joked in the locker room about different things, and it kind of kept it light. Hmm. Obviously, it was pretty whatever, a thin ice situation, but we stayed <sighs> afloat. That wow. was the summer before any of this unroll. So he took a leap of faith mm. and he has maintained that leap of faith through the ups and downs. And that's where I give Sam Hartman credit because he could have gotten to the end of spring and he could have been the one that that pulled the trap door and left, and left this to be Tyler Buckner's team. And maybe some people would like that. But he didn't. Mm.
3: With that being said let's just bring up what was said last night in the coordinator's press conference. I'll set this up by saying if you listen to my program, if you read Eric's articles at InsideIndySports.com, it's been brought up many, many times how interesting it was that Notre Dame had 173 passing yards in play action against Pittsburgh but only tried it twice in 36 dropbacks against clemson in particular after they started running the ball you know pretty well early on in the ball game but they ended up running at what 13 of the first 15 first downs became extremely predictable the second half they became extremely predictable by basically throwing it on every down despite it being a one possession game so it was asked of marcus freeman i'm sorry jared parker last night was it pete sampson asked the question do you know i know you're not with parker during those press conferences. But I think it was... I I think it was Pete, but I'm
1: not sure because... he's referenced. Right. He's referenced, so I think that's why he probably named Pete. I was, as per usual, talking to Al Golden simultaneously, so I didn't read the transcript until afterwards.
3: I'm going to assume it's Pete that asked the question, Pete Sampson from The Athletic, and the question was in regard to the lack of play action against Clemson. This is what your offensive coordinator had to say. And I don't have the audio because it's in a different media session than radio, TV, and, and internet. So, on. there we go. My headphone jack came out. I want to be able to hear you, Eric. You're going to say brilliant things. Okay, so this is what Parker said. Quote, there's some realities to it, I swear. If you all would have looked at it in a man game, because I did. I try to keep up with Notre Dame football communications director, Katie Lonegren, and make sure of what you guys quote unquote, write, Because I respect your all jobs, piece of it. And questions you lose. He's just starting and stopping here. So I'm trying to go with him, right? You lose play actions when it becomes pieces of a man game. And that's what that game was. So, There's no eye conflict. If I'm guarding Pete Sampson, I'm guarding Pete. So what's happening in action throws? Pete says they don't care. Then Jared says, exactly. So we lost that sum, end quote. So Jared is trying to tell us that against man coverage, that using play action is not something that I hate to put words in his mouth, but Eric, the best I can say is that he's saying against man he didn't want to use play action because he didn't think it was going to work against man coverage. When play action, Eric, oftentimes freezes those linebackers or sucks them up to the line of scrimmage, and then you can throw over the top of them. There's that big, massive space in the middle of the field, or you may do something in play action that gets the safeties off what you're trying to do. You're getting people off balance on defense. It's not all just about the corners. So, I mean, Eric, where do we go from here based on what he had to say there? I mean, didn't he basically say you can't run play action against man in a matter of words? How do you handle this? Take it take it, whatever direction well, you want to go. Well,
1: okay, so whatever he said here, You still have to answer the questions, and and that is, do you want to pull a Penn State and have a different offensive coordinator for the rest of the season, or do you want to wait until you get through the next two games and then make that evaluation, or do you want to get through the bowl game and make that evaluation? Are you asking me, or is that just what you're thinking, that Marcus is thinking? That's what I think Marcus is thinking, but then let me – let me pose that to you and then I'll weigh in on wh- why I think where the timing of the evaluation is most important.
3: Eric, I said last Wednesday after the Clemson game, I was in favor of changing the play caller the last two games to see what you have on staff.
1: So I'm not changing.
3: That, I felt like, validated my thoughts.
1: If you are making it to that end, mm-hmm. if you think either Gino Gaduli or Joe Rudolph is a potential offensive coordinator next year, then that makes sense. If you're just doing it to demote Jared Parker, I don't think it makes sense. If you have no no, um, iota that either of those guys are going to be in the running for your offensive coordinator, like when Brian Kelly did the bowl game with Tommy Reese, it made some sense there because he was thinking along sure. the lines that Tommy Reese would be the next one. Where I think it's important is it needs to be done after the Stanford game. Because if you're shopping for an elite portal quarterback, if you want a Michael Pratt or somebody like that, they're going to say, what's the offense I'm playing in? Who's the offensive coordinator and offensive play caller going to be? Why should I pick you over these other schools? You better have a good answer. Damn right. So it either needs to be a new and improved Jared Parker, or it needs to be... Um, here's wh- who we're looking at or here's who we have lined up to come in, that needs to be your answer. Because if it's what happened in the Clemson game, you know, that, that's all the other teams competing for, Michael Pratt or Riley Leonard or whoever, the Cam Rising, whoever the names that you want to throw out there. That's the schools. You're not going to be the only one competing for them. And so, and NIL money is everywhere. So, you have better have a good answer because the reason that player would transfer is to enhance his NFL stature. Yeah. It wouldn't be, well, gosh, Tulane, they've only been winning like 10, 11, 12 <laughs> games a year. You know, they beat the snot out of USC last year in a bowl game. Uh, But I'll transfer to Notre Dame where, you know, they are struggling on offense in the second half of the season. I
3: know this is probably an impossible question to ask, and even if you
1: It's not impossible to ask. It may be impossible to answer. Well, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Excuse me. (laughs) I'm
3: I'm just numb to what I read last night. But you said, well, maybe Jared Parker takes a massive step forward. How does that happen? How do we guarantee or should expect that's going to happen? And Eric, you know, and you've said it to me a million times working with me, and you said it recently, the third year of a Notre Dame head football coach defines who they are going to become. And Lou Holtz won a national championship. Others failed in their third year. So, I mean, this is a massive decision For Coach Freeman, or someone above him has
1: to make the decision. Okay, let me give you a scenario where just by pure numbers, it it can work out that way. So Marcus Freeman comes to Cincinnati from Purdue, and their first year at Cincinnati, they didn't have a very good defense. Now, they hadn't been a very good defense the year before, so they did not improve greatly. But in the second year, it was lights-out improvement. And so it's possible, but there were signs that you would see if you're uh, Luke Fickle that you say, well, this guy's a great recruiter. He's learning from his mistakes. Uh, We didn't have much material to work with. He's improved our recruiting. Uh, I see the guys better at the end of the year than they were at the beginning of the year. So you're seeing a different trend line. This year, Notre Dame starts out with historic offensive numbers ad, against admittedly not the best competition on their schedule, yep. and then it, then it goes the other way, and you have um, you know, less competitive. So what is there to hold on to? That's kind of the question that Marcus – I'd love to ask Marcus if I knew I was going to get the honest answer. What is there – and I'll still ask it at some point – What is there that you see in Jared Parker that leads you to believe that improvement is imminent? What are the things that you're seeing? Now, what he's saying in press conference right now is, it's not the plays, it's this. It's not the plays, it's this. He's, I think, protecting Jared Parker. Um, I don't know that he necessarily thinks that. I think there's elements of it not being a word salad. But that's... I, I, I think he is trying to clue you in on there are other factors involved. But I do think, Darren, the fix is an elite offensive coordinator. You can fix a lot of problems with somebody that has answers. Right? Yeah. So, mm. I, I mean, the, uh, we had Bob Morton on our podcast this week. Bob Morton played for... Tyrone Willingham and Charlie Weiss, and, you know, I asked him, I said, um, you know, when you guys were going through the offensive, because Charlie Weiss's offense, the two years Bob Morton was on the team were prolific. The three years he was on Tyrone's team, they weren't very good offensively. They were good defensively, or at least decent defensively those years. They were outrageously good in 2002. But I said, as a player, you know, do you know whose house to put the for sale sign on <laughs> and stuff like that? And you know, do you know what's going on and and what happens when things aren't getting fixed? What what happens? And his answers are fascinating. I I think you know, I suggest people click on our website and listen to it. It's free so you can listen to it after you hear the amazing Carter Carls today and, and the rest of this show. But
3: Well, Eric as someone who knows defense extremely well, Marcus Freeman would have to understand that if he heard Parker's comments last night about not using play action against man, wouldn't he be like, wait, what?
1: Well, again, it can be him. It could, does he really believe that or did he fumble in a press conference and not give a good answer? I mean, the one thing that where it, Leads me to believe this is going to be a struggle for Jared to be much improved in 2024. One of the factors is how his an- antenna's up too high. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's more than I've ever seen around here. Right, especially with what he's going through, it needs to be oh, down, and, way and, down, and just the you can tell the spotlight is bothering him not that it's easy believe me I mean Darren when the whole Manti Teo thing happened I was in the middle of that yes you sure were I was singled out with two other journalists both of whom you know we all came out the, the good end of that but we all had to deal with that adversity and what I did was I'm going to get to the truth of this yep. and I'm going to keep doing my job but I still have to handle all the negative stuff that's coming my way and every journalism student wanting me to be their term paper, you know, topic and stuff. I mean, it went on. Finally after a couple of years, I said, okay, I've done enough of these. And, sure. and again, a lot of it, they had no idea what everything that happened. But by focusing on my job, I was able to get a lot of truth and that helped. And then then we see years later the final piece of the truth coming out, and it was pretty interesting.
3: I'll just circle back to how we started this conversation. When you have one coach kind of comparing, not comparing, but talking about play calling to playing Madden, and then you've got an offensive coordinator who makes the comment about play action against man, that's when the fans get concerned. When they hear these type of things, that's when they begin to panic. When it's not just player execution, that's when fans I think sometimes become too fanatical, Eric, and that's where we are right now. As they're being there's just been kerosene just thrown on the fire right now by things that have
1: been said. You know, and then and we'll it, go to break after you say this. Okay. The thing is you could say, well then don't have the coordinator speak. I think it's it's very good for them to have that experience and they're either gonna grow from it or they're gonna sure. shrink from it. Um, I think when we had Mike Denbrock on during the 2016 season An awful season it it was a great experience yeah. for him it was and
3: good for us and he gave us direct answers right there were no word salads absolutely not one two broils award candidates who are former irish offensive coordinators mr denbrock and mr reese
1: And Brian Harden's out there somewhere as a defensive coordinator.
3: Brian Harden has a better chance than Jared Parker. 530 on your Home of the Hours. We're going to talk to an old friend, Carter Carls, who used to work for the South Bend Tribune. Now he's in the middle of a firestorm down in College Station as Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher. We'll see if Jimbo's offering him maybe a little cash on the side for a wedding gift. I mean, he's got enough probably that's going to be flowing in very, very soon. We'll get to, to Carter's
1: very own Papa John's franchise.
3: <laughs> <laughs> We're back with more in a moment on WSBT. It's
2: Abby Wepler.
3: Ah, uh, Abby, thank you so much. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, including Saturday's game against Wake Forest, which kicks off at 3:30, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. Back in the day when Carter Carls worked for the South Bend Tribune, he was our recruiting update guy on the program, and this was the music that we used to bring him into the program. Now Carter is deep in the heart of Texas. College Station covering... (laughs) And this music couldn't be more appropriate. (laughs) For so many reasons right now around these parts. But he now covers Texas A&M for 24-7 sports. Carter Carls joins us here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Carter, are you tearing up hearing this music right now?
2: I sure am.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. How are you, my friend? Good to hear your voice.
2: Oh, It's great. It's great. I feel like I've been talking for three or four years now about uh, all of us having a little reunion at A&M Notre Dame next uh next August. I think it's an August game. So, I'm yes. excited for that and uh thank you guys for having me. It's great to great always to talk to you guys.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Notre Dame is at Texas A&M the first game of next year. I think there's a lot of wondering who's going to be the coordinators and the head coach for both sides going into that particular football game, but Carter Jimbo Fisher was let go, and we all know about the massive buyout that Texas A&M is swallowing to get rid of this guy who was 6-4 this year, 4-3 in the Southeastern Conference. They outscored their opponents 342-204, to so that's kind of impressive. So why do you think now was the right time for Texas A&M to go a different direction with the program?
2: Yeah, they were, as the... Athletics director for A&M, Ross Bjork, said they were stuck in neutral where they he, he he, the way he worded it was they were going down the highway in the left lane going 55 miles an hour and watching all these other cars pass them. Uh, Jimbo Fisher just did not adapt. You watch his offense week to week. It's very archaic looking. You've got slow developing, you know, uh, routes and runs behind a a offensive line that has really struggled. You've seen over the years, his track record since Jameis Winston been very bad at evaluating and developing quarterbacks. Uh, Offensive line has almost always been an issue under him besides that 2020 year. Um, And other problems too, disciplinary stuff. You saw what what happened with the 2022 class uh, last year. Um, Lots of suspensions, lots of, you know arrests and and guys going to the transfer portal, and uh, special teams was an issue too. They uh, didn't never had a special teams coordinator under Jimbo Fisher, and this year it was very apparent. They had a lot of miscues on special teams that that cost them games. But you know overall, there was just some really concerning trends. They had a nine game losing streak on the road. They had, uh, I think. five or six straight losses to the Mississippi schools until they won last weekend, Um, six and 12 against their last 18 power five opponents until last weekend. So like every trend was just going down and, you know, the first three years under him, I think there was a lot of optimism, but ever since kind of toward the end of that 2021 season, it's been only downhill.
1: Well, I think uh, Mr. Bjork missed on one little detail, being in the left lane, going 55, and having your blinker on perpetually. (laughs) Here's my first question of, gosh, I've got a million for you, Carter, but the the one that I want to ask you out of the shoot is, why was this a swing and a miss with Jimbo? You mentioned what this deep into his tenure, what the problems were, why was that not apparent when he hired? Why was this not the fit that it could have been or should have been?
2: Yeah, I think at the, at the time when he took the A&M job, there were a lot of reasons to be optimistic with, Hey, I mean, won the national championship in 2013. He was a 10 win machine, a recruiting machine. Um, And a big part of the reason why he left Florida State was because he had a lot of things going on in his personal life and he clashed a lot with administrators there. He kind of needed a restart. And I felt like the first three years there, uh, he was building towards something that you thought was um, going to be a, a great program and then you saw it in 2020, them finishing fourth in the country, almost making the playoff that year. Um, but then it just I, – I think there – some of these coaches, there's part of them that either burns out or fails to adapt. You see this with Urban Meyer, some of these other legendary coaches where they just fail to adapt. They're, they make a lot of wrong decisions. For Jimbo, part of it was making the wrong hires, you know, after Mike Elko – left. He hired DJ Durkin, which was a pretty questionable hire. Um, He uh, hired Steve Adazio as his offensive line coach and retained him after last season. Sorry, I snickered. uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve Adazio was a pretty questionable hire and and he retained him and, and the offensive line's been a mess. So he's been pretty loyal to some of his assistants that have not just been very good at all. Um, and then I think the whole quarterback thing was an issue. I mean, he, he just time and time again kept striking out on guys. And you could kind of make the argument that, hey, he kind of struck gold with Jameis Winston. And then, you know, it, it kind of fell back down to earth. Uh, you saw it with Davos Sweeney when he had these awesome, awesome quarterbacks. They were really great. And then when they didn't have one, uh, they kind of regressed the mean, I guess. Um, and then Davo, you know, failed to adapt too, but you know, Jimbo didn't use the transfer portal. Um, at least not effectively until this
1: passed <laughs> the off. the outgoing season. transfer portal. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. He used the outgoing transfer The incoming. I think they lost 26 players in the portal and they only replaced them with 10 and only two of them have been impactful. Um, there really has not been, they basically got a bunch of third teamers uh, from the portal. They they just weren't interested in it. They weren't interested in meeting the 85 scholarship limit. Just a lot of archaic stuff that just showed me that he wasn't willing to adapt. And the further you get in the NIL era, the further you get in the transfer portal era, the more those things become apparent.
1: Go ahead, Eric. Can I, can I ask, You two questions, kind of from a Notre Dame standpoint, since that's our audience here. One is, how much talent do you expect to be on the roster? What's the caliber of talent? If you were putting it a number from one to 25 in the country or not in the top 25, and I know we don't know everybody who's going to be leaving, where would you put that relative to Notre Dame opening there next year?
2: Like, where do you think AM's at right now? Or where do you yeah, think what at you at would
1: anticipate over? with the normal amount of attrition. Right. Well, current.
2: I'll answer currently, and then I'll answer that. Okay. So, currently, they're on our 247 Sports Team Talent Composite. They're fourth in the country. Wow! Um, I think that's pretty overrated, in a sense. And part of it, too, um, they have lost both of their top two quarterbacks for the second straight year should have mentioned that too. They can't under Fisher. They never could keep their quarterback healthy, which was a sign of having a bad offensive line. They've lost five. If you want to count Max Johnson this year, five starting quarterbacks to season ending injuries in the last three years.
1: Okay. So, Um, so number four, you think it's too high and what do you think it'll be next year when Notre Dame opens there?
2: My long winded way of saying, I don't think they're really fourth right now. They're probably seventh or sixth. Wow! And next year, that's still pretty high. And next year, I still think they'll be top ten. Now, it really does depend who they hire as their head coach. And I know they're in the process of really focusing on their roster retainment right now. They're having NIL meetings. They're having these conversations right now as we speak. So it's a big focus for them right now. But I think it will probably be top 10
1: by the time they uh, play next year. Okay, and my follow-up is this, and then Darren, I'm going to let Darren take over because I'm being a question hawk. So Notre Dame is <laughs> going to go fishing for another portal quarterback. If you are Texas' A&M's new, def- new coaching staff, new defensive coordinator – just somebody that knows the program well, as you do, would you rather see Michael Pratt trotting onto the field as a defensive coordinator, or would you rather see Steve Angeli or Kenny Minchie face your defensive talent? Uh,
2: You know, that's a hard question to answer without uh, seeing those guys up close. But uh, I don't know. To me, just an outsider perspective, it seems like Notre Dame... I mean, I know it's a, it's a year difference, but they didn't have a ton of confidence in their quarterbacks beyond Hartman this year. So you probably, the Angeli's of the world is probably what you'd rather face just because there's kind of a mystery there and they haven't really proven themselves to be all that great. So that's probably what I'd say. Um, proven transfer. Like I, I just, you know, you don't want them to get another Hartman and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean wouldn't you guys say Notre Dame will probably be in the market for another transfer quarterback, quarterback this they year? They
1: are. Or? They're definitely yes. committed to that. Yeah, but but there's so, a lot of debate about, amongst the fan base of well shouldn't they get to the point where they're developing their own quarterbacks? I think you can do both. Yeah. But I think when they start getting a cycle of not taking a transfer, it'll be 2025.
2: Yeah, Notre Dame, I mean, they kind of had some misses the last few cycles. I mean, Drew Pine, not very good. Tyler Buckner didn't ever show the potential. Uh, Brendan Clark didn't end up being any good. So you had like three straight misses. Uh, Phil Jerkovic, that's another one. I mean, it's pretty bad when you think about it. Under Tommy Reese, the quarterbacks yeah. they recruited. How
3: did J.J. McCarthy so, turn out, by the
2: way? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember, this is actually a funny story, when uh, I was covering Notre Dame for you guys, um, I got a DM from J.J. McCarthy, uh, I probably shouldn't share this, but he was oh, basically, please. Saying, come on,
3: oh you gotta on. say it now,
2: he's like, oh if Notre Dame offered me, I would run to South Bend right now and accept the offer and commit. And I was like, Whoa. And so I was kind of keeping an eye on that. And then, you know, they ended up choosing Buckner over him. Uh, so yeah, that sorry, sorry, Notre Dame fans just I've, kinda I've heard heart something there. along
3: those lines before, so you just validated but never it. Never this clear. <laughs> oh my god. I mean he had
2: posters of Notre Dame on his doggone wall. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he probably would not admit that. He'd probably say, oh, that never happened. I know he he kind of is that, like, guy who's like, yeah, like, I hate Notre Dame. I hate Ohio State. I've always been that way. I I, hate wasps. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Oh, there we go. There's the quote of the day. Carter Carls used to cover the hours for the South Bend Tribune. Now, Gig'em, 247 Sports covering Texas A&M. So, let me ask this, Carter, about, again, Fisher getting booted. By Texas A&M, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas has gone from five and seven to eight and five to nine and one, including winning at Alabama this year. Does the rise of Texas have anything to do with the quick trigger on Fisher?
2: Yes, one hundred percent. Anyone in the A&M circle, the A&M sphere, you know, they may not admit it, but they are very focused on what A- what Texas is doing. And they regret that, you know, they built all this momentum with Johnny Manziel and, and getting in the prominence of, of the SEC. And then they kind of blew it. They didn't take advantage. They had it. If they, if they thought they had it again in 2020. It didn't work out. They thought they had it again with the 2022 class. It didn't work out. And all that time, Texas just kind of fired coach after coach. And now they've figured it out right before they get to the SEC. It's just like, wow, what? Terrible timing there. Um, And now it's looking like Quinn Ewers may come back uh, for another season. So um, it's unfortunate. But for A&M, the interesting thing is their schedule next year could not be set up for them more perfect. Uh, They avoid Bama and Georgia they're kind of doing this new uh, SEC model now that Texas and OU are joining the conference, but they're not going to start it until the 2025 season. So they're kind of doing this like temporary one-time schedule uh, to preserve some of the rivalries and just kind of And preserve the the FCS
1: week, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and preserve that
4: too. (laughs) Um,
2: And so – they avoid Bama and Georgia, which is obviously huge. And then their three biggest games, in my opinion, are all at home. Notre Dame, Texas, and LSU. And then you have the 12-team playoff. So, you know, even if you lose two of those three games and you win the rest, 10-2 and SEC, you're probably in the 12-team playoff. Um, so, there, there's some optimism of, man, if they can just. They might the pick roster. Iowa
1: ahead of them, but go <laughs> ahead.
5: I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I think that's the thing with the whole Texas thing. Is they, they know how big this first game is with it being in Kyle Field, being the first game back in 12 years, uh, 13 years, actually, and then obviously the playoff implications with it. So, yeah, they're, they're very focused on it. They won't admit it, but they, they definitely are.
3: What do you know, Eric? They play LSU. I'm in favor of
1: uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our entire At the end, team needs to be one executed after tonight. For me, so okay, I
3: I've got for one day. more. All right, then I'll let Eric wrap it up. Mm-hmm. So, Carter, here's my question. Notre Dame, Texas A&M, game one next year. Is Mike Elko running out of the tunnel for A&M?
4: <laughs> oh,
2: man, you're going to get me in trouble. It's too early for predictions, but I have heard he is a top candidate. But what is surprising is there's not sort of this perception of, oh, he's a home run hire And that, I mean, I, I know he hasn't, he hasn't quite been, like he's been very impressive at Duke, but he hasn't been like, oh my gosh, he's going to be a top five, top ten coach. And I think A&M is in such a crisis mode replacing Jimbo that they think, at least the perception is, if you're going to spend all this money and and put yourself in a major, major hole, you better be doing it for somebody that is a definite upgrade. And I think with Elko, they think, is he 100% an upgrade? Is he going to recruit as well? Is he going to, you know, have all these things? And so that's the tricky part with him. But, yeah, he's definitely a top guy, but he's not like the – runaway favorite i wouldn't say
3: eric can you imagine carter carls asking questions at a press conference or doing a one-on-one with texas a&m head coach Dion sanders can you imagine the bling in the room for that conversation <laughs> there's no way the I boosters and Dion would get along
2: at texas a&m <laughs> yeah it ain't, it ain't
1: happening no beyond no, no.
2: gonna be that
1: ain't happening <laughs> so uh, before i i uh, ask my question, I will say this. I can see why there's hesitancy with Elko. I love Mike Elko as a head coach. I think his offensive coordinator hire would be incredibly uh, critical there. um, Because they need somebody with an offensive mindset. And Mike's a defensive coach. Mm -hmm. So the, the fit isn't as good as you would like. Here's my question to you. So... Gosh, um, back in December of 2021, Matt Freeman and Tyler James get a text from you from a Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana restaurant, and Brian Kelly is sitting two tables over from you. And yeah. you guys ended up having a pretty in depth conversation. And you tweeted part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But my question is, and I know that you want to keep a lot of that between us and the family. And the family, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) but based on that conversation that you had with Brian Kelly that night, have things played out at LSU as you would have have thought based on that conversation, which was a pretty lengthy one? Yeah,
2: my whole take on the Brian Kelly to LSU thing was I think Brian Kelly is really good at winning 10 games. But I don't know if he's good at taking you much farther than that. He can take you to the playoffs every now and then, uh, maybe to the SEC championship game every now and then, but don't, I don't know if he's ever going to win the big one. I, I wouldn't count on it. Now at LSU, let's remember they had two doofuses as head coach, and Ed Orgeron and, and Les Miles, and they won a natty with them. And Brian Kelly's a way more confident coach. But the question about, you know, is he going to be, like, is he as good as a recruiter as Edo? No. And is he going to give all that effort to do that? You know, I don't know. Um, I thought he was very impressive his first year. He very much exceeded my expectations. But this year it's been like, man, wow. He, he may have the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. Um, and they're an 8-14. and 14. Their defense is horrendous. And I think that's what kind of surprised me. Their utilize, utilization of Harold Perkins has been really weird. Um, so I, I think he may have to make a change at D coordinator or or some major changes on defense before he can talk about winning the SEC again. And uh, yeah, from that conversation, I mean, I got the sense that he was tired of you know going going and battling Notre Dame about every little thing and and having to beg for pennies. And I think he just wanted a fresh start and wanted to be at a place where he could be, uh, supported and every answer would be met with an immediate yes. Um, now there's probably other things that were at play there. Um, I, I'm I'm not going to pretend that I know every detail on that, but, um, I think he was kind of tired of that whole thing. And, uh, and yeah, I think he's he seems to be more happy at LSU, um, but the longer he's in there, the more they're going to be demanding of hey <laughs> you eight and four teams, eight and four seasons this ain't this ain't going to cut it so um, we'll see as it progresses but I, I don't see him win the big one I, I just I just don't
1: if they're in the ReliaQuest Bowl against Notre Dame and I'm at the press conference, (laughs) would you pay to get into that?
2: Yes. uh, I would too. Only if you ask uh, about our our conversation and our dinner. Just say, hey, man,
1: you miss
4: Carter?
1: You know that there is nowhere I wouldn't go, including asking him about Columbia Jackets.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I saw him at SEC Media Days. And I almost went up and uh, and like called you and said, hey, Brian, look. But he had like a whole entourage around him. So I thought eh, that'd probably be a little weird. Uh, so didn't do that. But next SEC media days,
1: expect a call. <laughs> and you're going to put him on the phone with me?
2: Yeah, I'll just do it. I'll just put you on speaker. I'll totally blindside him. I'll blindside you. Uh, <laughs> and we'll make – it'll be like a prank call, but – both people are being pranked. I would love it. Oh, my
3: gosh. Well,
0: I might be able to go to the Seven Eleven now and, and get me a, a, a monster or a Red Bull. <laughs>
3: <laughs> go Tigers! There you go. That's how we go wrap back. it up. That's how we wrap it up. Well, Carter, I guess we'll get to bug you this summer in preparation for Notre Dame-Texas A&M, so we'll might maybe just have to do this all over again. And he'll be married by he'll then. He'll be married. And you yeah. know what? I don't know if he can top the J.J. McCarthy bomb he just laid
1: on us, but you know what? You never know next summer what might happen. You know, when they say, speak up now or forever hold your peace at the ceremony, J.J. McCarthy's going to say, I've got a problem here. <laughs> I'm so happy to state
0: of Louisiana.
3: Well, oh, man. Carter, get some sleep. I know when a coaching search is going on, you got a lot of stuff going on. But we really appreciate you joining us, and always great to talk to you. All the best to you and your future bride and your family, and we will talk to you again soon.
2: Hey, next August, can't wait. Y'all better both be coming down here, and we'll have a, a big Fandango. So I'm looking forward to it. A
3: big Fandango. <laughs>
1: okay. Once we figure Don's out what know. that is, we'll be excited about it. <laughs>
2: Fandango? I, I think I pronounced it wrong. You know what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is a pound the rock, man. We're
0: going to keep on coming.
3: <laughs> all right. Carter, be well. We'll talk to you soon.
2: All right. Bye, guys. Thank you all.
3: See ya. That is Carter Carls, formerly of the South Bend Tribune. And, of course, now working for Gigum 247 down in College Station. I mean, a Fandango. How can we pass that yeah. up? I'm, yeah. I'm glad
0: we went to Mike Anderson Lake Crawfish that night. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. I am so late for a break. I am I am in deep trouble the last hour, and you're not here, Eric. All right. got to take a break. Can you stay for the Twitter question? Sure. Do you mind? All right. We'll do that. Coming up next, a J.J. McCarthy bomb from Carl's. I love it. I'm here for it on WSBT South Bend. Here's another...
0: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter Question of the Day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We coming. We coming.
3: I guess Dion didn't make that famous after all, did he? Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day results from Tuesday. And this was the question that we asked. Which of these four choices do you believe would help the Notre Dame offense the most? I could have offered like 10 different (laughs) answers. I tried to narrow it down. I caught grief from some people saying I left off an obvious one that Hartman needs to be better. But this is kind of my thing that I don't think this is all Sam's issue that things around him are leading to Sam being bad. So I'm not going to put Sam on the list because I don't believe it's one of the top
1: four. Okay. So that's my I think that's a good thing. Once I retweet you, you're into my world, and you're going to get more people with those. (laughs) They can keep those Hartman takes. I'm not. You're going to get that. I
3: love to read things like that because people can change my mind, but no one's going to change my mind that they're going to blame Sam for this. All right. So here are the results. Better offensive line play came in last at 2.2%. A lot of questions about this week's offensive line that could be Alt, Coogan, Craig, Shrouth, Fisher. Yep. Okay. Third in the voting, 10.8%. Rely more on Audric Estime. Okay. That kind of goes back to using other running backs and also not using him in the second half against Clemson. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second in the voting. More of a play-action pass game from Notre Dame got 24.9%. That might be recency bias. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they did it against Pittsburgh. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this magical defense no one's ever seen man-to-man happens, and you can't do it. In- including some young defensive backs oh my filling gosh. in. I don't, don't get it. I'm all happy after talking to Carter. I don't want to go back into land. Okay. Let's forget it. But winning the vote was improved wide receiver execution at 42.3%. How would you have voted?
1: I would have, I actually did vote. Okay. I voted for the answer that got 2.2% better offensive line play. And why I say that is if you get better offensive line play, the other things on that list are going to improve. So I think start there, and then the other things will be a byproduct of that.
3: For all the Sam Bashers, take a look at. The pressure coming at his feet throughout the game, where the pressure was coming from a lot up the middle, yeah. before the injuries took place. Right, right. before Ashton the Craig injuries took place,
1: did a very good job in pass Pearl.
3: Yeah, Pro Football Focus had him as the best offensive lineman <laughs> in his 21 snaps. <laughs> in his 21 snaps, hey, good for him. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, today's question. I think I can say we all agree that when an offense is struggling, normally there are many places you can point a finger. With the Notre Dame offense being inconsistent, what do you believe is a majority of the problem? Eric, I just posted this. I don't think you've maybe seen it on Twitter. I know you've been kind enough to repost. But I just posted it within the last 45 minutes. So what do you believe is a majority of the problem? Here are the four choices. Again, nothing about Sam. Number one is what you've heard over and over. It's player execution. Number two, game planning. Number three... Play calling, number four, in-game adjustments. No, there is not a five, all of the above. Appropriate, but no. So what is a majority of the problem with the Irish offense? Player execution, game planning, play calling, or in-game adjustments. Is that a fair list? Yeah. Okay. Would you like to chime in? D, in-game adjustments. Which appeared to be pretty good against North Carolina State. But it's not been going as smoothly
1: since. Well, again, it's kind of like the guy that comes up from AAA and is hitting the snot out of the ball. And then he gets a slider that he can't handle. And then it's... And then he sees slider after slider after slider until he can handle.
3: Until he makes an adjustment. Right. And if he never makes an adjustment,
1: back to the minors.
3: And eventually, he'll be owning maybe a fast food place just like Carter Carls. <laughs> Carter doesn't
1: own one yet for people that don't know. We're just projecting that Carter would do a good job of one. All right. So
3: we'd love to get your vote on this. What is the biggest issue with the Irish offense? Player execution, game planning, game planning. Play calling, in-game adjustments. Vote right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. We should rename this the Sportsbeat InsideIndieSports.com Twitter question of the day. Okay. Because you've been helping out by retweeting it. So, unless you don't like my question, then I won't put your name on it. I like your (laughs) questions. (laughs) All right. With that being said, let's find out what is happening right now at Eric's... Can I call it a publication online? Yeah, sure. Is that okay? Because publication kind of sounds like... Online publication.
1: Online publication at InsideIndieSports.com. Well, I have my live chat today. Lots of lively questions. I tried my best to come up with answers, and so the transcript is up. Uh, Tyler James did a really good um, story about Xavier Watts being a finalist for the Nagurski Trophy Award. One of the best defensive players in the country that down to five finalists he did a um, story also on the pro football focus grades what that's looked like with the offensive players we had transcripts from both coordinators last night and uh, Joe Alt being a Lombardi How about that? trophy finalist and of course Darren there's always much much more maybe even uh, Carter Carl singing. Oh my gosh! I am
0: so happy for the state of Louisiana.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine a press conference with Brian Kelly and me? I don't. It would either go really well or really bad.
3: Oh, I think it would go extremely I, well. I, I think you guys would be right back to your bit.
1: I I I would come in about five seconds late on purpose. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've already got it planned.
3: I had a former. Notre Dame offensive player that I texted earlier about Jared Parker's comments about not going with play action against man. And the response I got back is, even more so if it's man, you could create more open spaces.
1: Okay. I think I know who the player was. And I would value his opinion. That's why I asked
3: him. I haven't been this bum-fuzzled. Since hearing some Tyrone Willingham coaches comments, and uh, wow, it's been a while. That those comments last night have absolutely knocked me on the floor. Okay, and it's led your message board to blow up. (laughs) All right, you got to get out of here. I'm sorry, it's running really late here at six twelve. It's past your dinner time. It's going to be your bedtime soon, so. I apologize. No, you're up all night. What am I talking about? You're always writing. He's like the king of writing and researching. And that's why you're good. That's why you're a Hall of Famer. I appreciate that. That is why you are a Hall of Famer. Go Tigers! All right. I got a lot of commercials to play in the last 48 minutes of the program. But I'll have some content as well. Eric, thank you. Check him out at InsideIndieSports.com. 612 at WSBT.
0: Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat.
1: Caught on the one-yard
3: line and into the end zone, Tobias Merriweather. First catch of his Notre Dame career goes for a touchdown from 41 yards
0: out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
4: Setting up Estadio over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame.
3: 24 minutes after 6 o'clock, Sportspeak continues on this Wednesday evening. Hope you're having a terrific day. We thank you for joining us. Here on WSBT Radio. Great having Eric with me once again for the 5 o'clock hour. He'll be back tomorrow as we go through the advantage game for Notre Dame versus Wake Forest. Recap his chat, which was today at InsideIndieSports.com. And whatever else pops into our head, we'll have that conversation in regard to Notre Dame football On tomorrow's program, we spent the first 20 minutes of the show trying to diagnose the comments of Irish offensive coordinator Jared Parker last night, why the team only ran two play action passes against Clemson. Now, let me take a step back. On Monday, Marcus Freeman was asked about the lack of a play action game, and he talked about that, which led into a conversation about Sam Hartman learning a brand new style of offense here at the University of Notre Dame.
5: Um, you know, if, if if we could guarantee running play action passes were going to get us first downs and yardage, we would do it. You know, and, and that's what we all have to understand. And I'll, I'll, and I'll keep going on this question, but we all have to understand it. Like, if there was a quick fix and easy answer, just do this, and you're going to win and get first downs, we all would do it. You know, that's why this game of football is so frustrating because you try to do things that you believe are going to help you have success and they don't always guarantee to have success, right? And so the biggest thing I think with Sam is that, you know, he's still in the first year of a completely different system. And the problem is you have so much success early, right, that it's like, oh man, he's just mastered this. System. We're good to go. He's makes every perfect read and, and those type of things. And then you play some really good defense and we haven't performed as well, you know, and, and the challenge is to always figure out why, what are we doing? What do we have to do to make sure that we can help him make the right decisions? Right. And, and sometimes it takes negative things happening to say, okay, all right, we can't just do that. We can't just take the one-on-one every time. Maybe we do have to take this free access throw that they're giving us um, to have success. You know, we, we want to win the 50-50 balls. We, we, we haven't won them right now. You know, so how do we continuously find ways to to help Sam in his decision making? Right, because Sam's going to do exactly what you tell him to do. Right. To, to how do we find ways to help him um, make decisions that will help our offense continuously have success? Because I've never been around a person that works as hard as him in terms of trying to make sure he understands what we want from him, but also what the defense is presenting. I mean, it's not a lack of work ethic and we got to do things as coaches and players around him to help him have success because he is a talented, talented individual that, um, it's hard cause he's only going to have 12, 13, ga- 12, 13 games in this new system. And, uh, But that's not always going to be a reflection of how good of a player Sam Hartman is, you know, and and there's a reason why he had so much success at Wake Forest, because you're in that same system for five years, you know, there's no guessing what your wideouts are going to do, right? And, And part of the game at quarterback is, okay, understanding that the wideout has a couple decisions to make within the coverage within the leverage. And so When it's a new system, new wideouts, maybe they're not always on the exact same page. And so that's our job as coaches is to eliminate the choices, right, to eliminate the gray. If if, if we can't be on the same page, let's eliminate the options and say, here's one option, do this. That doesn't always mean we're going to have a whole bunch of success throwing the ball down the field and just moving it for touchdowns. But it does help us in terms of creating efficiency as we move the ball forward.
3: Yeah, and that's really interesting commentary there because there are those moments where wide receivers react to coverage and will break off their route. Quarterback hopefully reads the same thing and they make a play, but you heard Marcus discuss there toward the end, maybe you take away those options and you just run what is called and and you go with it, trying to simplify this offense. So that was Marcus talking about play action or lack thereof against Clemson, which led to that conversation. A very thoughtful commentary on quarterback Sam Hartman. Last night, Jared Parker met the media, was asked about the lack of play action against Clemson. And again, his quote was, there's some realities to it. I swear, if you all would have looked at it in a man game, because I did, I try to keep up with Katie, who is the Notre Dame football communications director, and make sure of what you guys write, because I respect your all's job, piece of it, and questions. You lose play actions when it becomes pieces of a man game, and that's what the game was. So he's saying because it was a man coverage game for Clemson, you lose the opportunities to attack in play action. And again, I reached out to a former Notre Dame offensive player, and just wanted to get his thoughts. And I talked to him about, aren't you trying to confuse the eyes of the linebacker and the safeties when you go with play action? And he said, yes, even more so if it's man, could create more open spaces. So that's a coordinator that believes that you can't attack man defense with play action. I'm highly confident other people look at it in a different fashion. You have to go with with what you believe. And if that's what he believes, okay, we know going forward that's where he stands when the opposition plays man. We should not expect play action passes. And something that Eric talked about again on the show was the lack of in-game adjustments by the fighting Irish offense, and Coach Freeman was asked about those Parts of the offense on Monday.
5: I think, you know, if it was just one play call or something like that, I'm sure he would do it. It's, you know, how do we continue to have a game plan that we feel can be effective and make those small adjustments? The answer isn't always plays, right? And and that's what I'm pushing both sides of the ball to understand is that the answer isn't always come up with another play, but it's the details within those plays that we got to make sure we make work. And, uh... The performance is the performance. We have to be better, right? We have to um, make sure first half, second half, the adjustments like we're efficient, we're moving the ball, we're changing the field position, and we're scoring points. Um, how to get that done, it, it's not a, just a simple answer right it's it's okay within the scheme of what we're doing within the scheme of what our guys know how to do how do we find why isn't why aren't we having success that's the first why are we in this position why didn't we have success on these plays and then what do we have to do to make sure we're successful right and and it's not as simple as calling just a different play like that's I promise you, it's not like Madden, (laughs) you know, you call a better play and you're more efficient, but it's, it's within our game plan. How do we make sure our guys are executing no matter what the look is you're seeing defensively that we can have success. That might be simplifying, right? That might be maybe changing formations, but doing the same type of thing. So you can confuse the defense, but our guys understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, how they're doing it. And so, um, it's not just a simple answer, but calling a different game but more so like let's figure out why we're not having success you know on every single play and then what do we have to do to make sure it might be throw it out it might be make a small adjustment within the framework of this play but um, what do we have to do to make sure we're more efficient um, on Saturdays
3: I report you decide all right 632 on your home of the fighting Irish sports radio 960 WSBT
2: you don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard.
0: Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit ups. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove.
0: Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Get out of the the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Holly again. Lock.
3: 20 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. Beat rolls on for this Wednesday evening. Brought to you by Budweiser, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, Midland Engineering Company, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, South Bend Orthopedics, Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Legacy Heating and Air. We're going to push aside football for just one segment. As earlier this week, the Chicago Cubs introduced their new manager, former Notre Dame baseball player, and for nine seasons was the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. Craig Council takes over as the new skipper on the north side, replacing David Ross, who was fired after he was told he was good to go for next year. Change of heart, he was shocked, and Craig Council is now your brand new manager. Of the Chicago Cubs so there truly is an Irish feel to this Cub team and former Irish manager Pat Murphy is going to be the new guy in charge of the Milwaukee Brewers so definitely a a lot of Notre Dame feel in the NL Central but Craig Council met the media on Monday
4: this is a big day uh, for me I think it's a big day for the Cubs it's a big day for my family um and, and it means a lot um that that you're all here and and some familiar faces already um you know make make my heart feel good for sure um so look you walk into you know wrigley today um the first day as a cub and it it already starts to mean something Uh, you walk into the history um you walk into the energy uh, you walk into a place that like you already know it demands your best, and that feeling is is just a feeling that, that I need to have and I love to have and I, I love that to be a part of like my daily life and so it that that feeling exists right now is 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 really, really special for me um, and makes me so so excited it really does um, it 's been an emotional week like No bones about it. Uh, Much harder than I imagined. Um, Just the speed at which this happened. And um, 17 years of relationships, you know, that all just, that hits you hard. Um, Truthfully, that hits you really hard. The Brewers have meant a lot to me. Um, I have great relationships there. The relationships I have there are the relationships that I am going to try with all of me to build in Chicago. They're what's important about this game. The connection to the people is what makes this thing go. Um, It's the connection to the staff. It's the connection to the players. It's the connection to the fans. And that is the challenge I have ahead of me. It's a big one. It takes time, Um, but it's the one that I have to get right.
3: Craig Council, new Cubs manager, his thoughts from Monday also on becoming the guy in charge of the baseball team on the north side of Chicago.
4: You know, I think I saw quickly that like the organization is, is just in great health and like that Jed presented a very compelling vision of that. Um, it is time to be a Cub, right? There is there is momentum happening here Um and it feels close, and, and that means there's a really exciting future ahead of us. Um, and now it's my job to to be part of taking us to taking us to the next level.
3: Also from the press conference on Monday, you heard a couple of times in the press conference council mention uh, Jed Hoyer's plan. The guy in charge of the Cubs organization. He was asked specifically about that plan.
4: You know, truthfully, Jed's vision was really just of, kind of, to me, the health of what we looked like going forward, um, and this this process was was fast. I, I don't know that I didn't, I've joked with Carter already that um, I don't know much about the Cubs, um, and but I believed in how Jed sold the vision. Absolutely. Um, and that was impactful to me, um, and you know I know enough about the city, the franchise, um, the history, um, uh, just baseball in general that I, I know how it works, you know. And, and so, the vision that he presented of kind of excitement and where where the franchise is at, kind of and in, 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 on a big picture level, um, you know. We've, we've still got to get a lot of decisions right. You know, you got to get a lot right still. <laughs> but but uh, it, it's it's a really healthy place to start.
3: Who knows, he might be managing Shohei Ohtani if things go well for the Cubs in the offseason. Finally, council was asked by a member of the Milwaukee media, is there anything the Brewers could have done to change the result of council leaving Milwaukee for the Chicago Cubs.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I, I was having kind of feelings of like, when am I gonna do something different? What's the next challenge um, for a while? Um, and, and so, there's no, I don't think there's a right answer to that and an easy answer to that. Um, you know, we got to this point. Um, You know, an incredible opportunity was put in front of me, Um, one that kind of answered a lot of the things that had been running around in my head for a long, for for a little bit. Um, And and so the decision was made.
3: Craig Council will wear number 30 as manager of the Chicago Cubs and the Cubs will be a part of the season opening game this year as the Cubs will take on the world champion Texas Rangers down in Arlington. 646 at WSBT.
0: Are you a business owner worried about the safety of your sensitive data? Look no further than Midwest Data Depot, your local off-site backup storage solution. Contact us today. Call 574-855-8588.